Welcome to the Season 4 opener of Word. You've committed to ensuring this podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region continues. Word has grown as a direct result of your contributions to KJZZ. Consider a gift of $10, $20, maybe even $30 a month to help ensure that this kind of programming reaches you and others. If you're already a member, thanks. If not, it's easy to become one. Just go to kjzz.org and click the Donate tab. Whatever is in your budget is the right amount. Thanks very much. And now, on with Season 4. Word, I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. 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 Was the word. From the KJZZ Studios in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, we begin this season with a returning guest, David Hemphill from Black Theater Troupe in Phoenix. The last show we did was our Black History Month show, Trouble in Mind, and it closed the third of February. Plus, Arizona Theater Company has gone digital for free to at-home audiences. We'll talk to the theater's Chanel Bragg about keeping stages lit in the age of the coronavirus. I don't think we've gone dark, <laughs> like, at all. In fact, art is still essential, and we are fighting tooth and nail to try to still bring something so special that means so much to all of us. Finally, Valley Indie filmmaker and screenwriter Robert Conway reunites with us after a 2019 appearance to talk about the production of his new movie, Skinwalker, which is due out in 2021. Mental health-wise, I just had to do it, and it was hard on the crew, obviously, and the cast, but most importantly, it was just trying to make something productive in this really tragic time for our country, for the world. But first, it's the 50th anniversary of the legendary Black Theater troupe in Phoenix. The company was founded by Helen K. Mason in 1970. At the time, she was a City of Phoenix Parks and Recreation Supervisor with no experience in theater. The theater's executive director, David Hemphill, came back to Word after a previous appearance in 2019 to talk about many things. Firstly, our pandemic beards. I'm all right. How are you? I'm hanging in there like all of us. I'm only on audio, so you won't be able to see me today. But uh, you got a sporting beard going on there, my friend. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's my pandemic look. (laughs) I just shaved my goatee, actually. Finally decided, you know what? (laughs) I got to do something to make me feel a little bit normal. So, uh, But I had a a good one. Well, thanks again for making some time. I suppose like uh, all of us, we're trying to stave off the silly season, and it seems like this silly season has been going on and on. And of course, it's really hitting theaters hard. What was the last show that actually performed? Was that back in February? Yeah, the last show we did was our um, Black History Month show, Trouble in Mind. And it closed the 3rd of February. So luckily enough, we had a uh, very successful fundraiser the last Sunday on the 23rd. Little did we know it was going to have to sustain us for a while. Our next show, we were shut down three days before it opened. So, Oh, man. And so then 
Do we have any indication based on current health metrics when theaters will be able to open? I mean, I guess they are considered what is called quote unquote non-essential businesses. But is there any indication on how soon doors might be open for Black Theater Troop? Did uh, receive a, some hopeful indication. Some theaters, like the Invisible Theater in Tucson, there's some guidelines that have been been released in terms of distancing um, and X amount of seats available. From what I understand, we can do 50 seats without petitioning the authorities that be. Right. It's sort of a double-edged sword in that way because we can remember, of course, when everything was pretty much shut down, locked down. And then when that was lifted, bars and restaurants opened. And of course, they had to be at a certain diminished capacity. But there were numerous reports of them saying, you know, even though our capacity was 50%, maybe we only had, I don't know, 20% of people showing up. And then those 20% were very reluctant after 5% of them got sick. Right. How do you move forward then with practicing for shows that once we get the all clear, you still don't know how many people will show up? How does that maybe change your outlook on what types of performances you would hold and, and what types of material you would focus on? What it does, first of all, and most importantly... It, it just shows the organization's risk. It would be akin to putting on a show that's a big flop and nobody comes and that sort of thing. So you would lose money and you have to be prepared for that. But in terms of preparing to resume, you have to look at smaller pieces. Like uh, right now, we um, are looking at two shows that um, have two characters in them. The other important thing is being able to allow people to come from the parking lot, out of their car, into the theater, into their seat, preventing them from having to wait around the lobby till the house opens and that sort of thing. Try and find shows that don't have an intermission. Try and find shows that would lend themselves to people not having to get up and go to the bathroom uh, that would lend itself to people not wanting to uh, get a drink of water and most importantly not lend itself to people expecting concession sales. So you have to look at uh, productions like that, minimal production values. You would just do as you usually do. If they say that uh, the theaters are going to be able, able to open on December 1st, then you would um, just pick up your regular schedule in terms of six weeks of rehearsal, one week of technical rehearsals, and et cetera. You can't immediately um, immediately be up and running, ready to open. Now, in our case, it's a little different because the show that closed um, just before opening, so to say, it was already. It had the, the costumes were the costumes were done. The cast was in technical rehearsals. The lighting was set. Um, the set was built. Everything. So that show is still, for all intents and purposes, just um, sitting there, ready to go. It could go with minimal rehearsals, just getting the cast and crews back together it could very easily go within uh two weeks i would think and what's um, the name of that show 
It's called Sisters the Musical. You articulated very nicely the changes that you're making to how people show up to the theater, how they'll be seated in a, a very, what I would consider to be a mid-sized theater. Of course, that reduces the amount of ticket sales. But for the actors and actresses themselves, when you're talking yeah. about Sisters the Musical, belting out music, for instance, is one of the things that we know is problematic in this age of the coronavirus. Yeah. So how do you change maybe the blocking, the safety measures on stage for the actors and actresses, and then also rehearsals, performances? Will you use... For instance, technology like this that we're using right now with Zoom or something like that to conduct performances before people are actually back in the theater space? The first thing that we have to do is monitor the health of the performers. Now, the, the band would be socially distant, so to say, because they're behind the set, behind a curtain, and they're spread out in a single file. But what we would have to pay attention to and be careful of is the health of the performance. We would have to make sure that they are in good health and that they're negative in terms of the virus. Now, we are prepared to do some adjustments in terms of the actual blocking and in terms of the facility itself. We will keep the first few rows of the theater unoccupied and on stage all of the action takes place very far uh, at least six feet back up on a uh, platform the setting is an attic and the only time that they come down on the apron of the stage in that six foot buffer area is to dance so we would have to change some of that blocking in terms of their music and that sort of thing, it's very easy to rehearse them remotely, I guess you would say. Yeah, I mean, I've heard even like, for instance, some of the soap operas, they've started up production again. They're cutting out all of the really personal scenes. So there's no kissing. It's kind of like the old days where it would get kind of steamy and then the camera would pan over to a fireplace or something like yeah. that because yeah. of these social distancing things. And so I'm just kind of curious, how difficult is that as an added layer in a production to have to think about all those kinds of things and then be making cuts in the plot, for instance, to count yeah. for that. That's got to be yeah, tough. It, it can be very, very challenging. Um, but again, that would go into the properties or the pieces that a company would pick. Now, in Sisters of Musical, they don't do any, for lack of a better word, Rockette style, <laughs> holding elbows and kicking, right. standing in a line. They don't do any of that. They're all very spread out across the stage. The closest they come to each other is one May character is sitting and another is standing over her shoulder. That's about the closest they, they come to each other. There's no in-your-face arguments, that sort of thing. And certainly there's no romantic things. There were hugs, but those can be easily um, dealt with. But yeah, it's, it, that's, it's a very, very, um, very, very challenging thing. And again, it goes to what pieces you're going to be able to find that can accommodate all of these restrictions. 
Well, David Hemphill, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this season opener of Word. We really appreciate everything that you guys do for the community, and I know it's really difficult for folks right now who got into what you do for love of community and also for that one-on-one connection that only, I think, theater can bring to people. So we look forward to Sisters the Musical. Please keep in touch with us and, and let us know when the production is ready to go. Yeah, we will keep you informed because, you know, this is our 50th season. Absolutely. That's what makes it even more difficult is the parallels. We started in 1970 to avert the racial unrest across the country and serve as a place where people could gather and be together and and be entertained and heal, so to say. And now we're at that point again when we could be very, very integral to the healing process and bringing people together. And we are in the pandemic. So it's very, it's very, very challenging. Well said, especially about just arts in general. I think people need that right now in their lives so much because of everything else that's been going on. And it's so difficult when you're thinking about that type of connection to not be able to foster it. But we know we'll get through it. And thanks again so much for coming to Word, David. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Tom. David Hemphill is executive director of Black Theater Troupe. You can find out more about the troupe at our website, word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. KJZZ offers original podcasts, including stories that tug on your heartstrings. Falling for someone else while your loved one with dementia is still alive isn't unusual. That's life and dementia. But is this really cheating? Listen to the Recovering Caregiver podcast or get your daily dose of news with the Sun Up podcast. Find all of our podcasts at iTunes, Spotify, and at podcasts.kjzz.org. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Some people think that smart speakers are a futuristic surveillance device straight out of George Orwell, constantly monitoring you as you engage in your most private actions and conversations. Well, they are, but did you know they're also a radio? That's right. You can ask your smart speaker to play NPR to hear your local station and all your favorite NPR shows, and it will. It will also report you to the central ministry, but why not enjoy yourself while you still can? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Arizona Theatre Company is also working to keep things lit during the age of COVID-19. Chanel Bragg, who is the Associate Artistic Director of the Arizona Theatre Company, caught up with me in her car in downtown Phoenix, of all places, on a recent Saturday to talk to me about the theater's digital offerings. We haven't actually really been all the way dark, right? Like, I feel that as long as we are still producing and still putting the art in the forefront of, you know, what is important for us every day, then I feel like we haven't really gone dark. But technically, our theater spaces have been closed since we had the opening and closing of The Legend of Georgia McBride back in March. But we have been diligently working on online offerings um, to just make sure that we're still connecting with the public. So we have a podcast talk show that we do every Friday, called Hang and Focus Live, where um, Sean Daniels, the artistic director for Arizona Theater Company, he does this incredible job just hosting uh, different people within our community, as well as different people that are doing events with us. 
And so the podcast is one of the things that we're doing. But like our ATC teams, they're still fully doing online programming and educational outreach. Then, of course, with uh, our digital season, we want everyone to treat it like you are going to the theater because that literally is what it is. Like we are full on still engaging in a full year's worth of programming, just some of it's online and some of it's on stage. And so I don't think we've gone dark, (laughs) like at all. In fact, I feel like more than ever, we're trying to let everyone know that we are still here. Art is still essential. And we, we are fighting tooth and nail to try to still bring something so special that means so much to all of us within our community and not allow our circumstances of what is going on in, the, in these like unprecedented, unprecedented times to keep us from doing the love, right? Right. Like, and people really need something besides the constant butcher bill of how many coronavirus cases there are which seems to lead just about every newscast. People look for those things that are timeless. And I think theater, to me anyway, has always been timeless. One of the things years ago, I want to say was during an Oscar ceremony, and the actor Mickey Rooney talked about the importance of theater. Now, of course, he was talking about film, but I feel like it applies, is that this, this is a space where everybody can come to, irrespective of their political party, irrespective of their ethnicity, their gender, what have you, and be in this space. But the idea of this collective community. And so I just sort of wonder what goes through artistic people's minds when you get into the business of theater. It's because of that human connection. You've got live, Mm -hmm. warm bodies there. How does the digital transformation sort of change your mindset and I feel like it makes you remiss and makes some people have a great deal of maybe anxiety. I don't know. For sure. And that's a really uh, valid point. Like, listen, nothing's going to replace theater, right? <laughs> like the, the, the energy that happens uh, between an audience member and, and a person on stage and that like, you know, synergy, that electrical exchange between them, that, that is definitely cannot be replicated. I'm not going to act like it could be. But there's an opportunity to do it in a different way. See, I think sometimes people are like, oh, but, you know, theater versus film. And if it's not on stage, then is it just film? But the one thing that I love about theater actors is that we don't have multiple takes to get it right. You know, like there, there is a literal like mindset as an actress that especially when you do theater specifically, that it's like, I'm all in, I'm all in, in this moment right now, I got one opportunity. And that does translate regardless of what medium that you put us on. So sure. Yes. We're, we don't have the beautiful red curtain to open before us. Right. But we absolutely still have that sense inside of us that needs to connect And I feel like it doesn't matter. That will absolutely translate. Well said. And on September 15th is the ATC premiere, right? What is that production and what's it about? Officially, our very first digital offering that we did is Alma. And then we have like a long list of different shows that are coming up that we are very excited to get everybody Uh, pumped up for. 
lot and dealing with a, a wide variety of lots of different topics too. We're doing Somewhere Over the Border, which is a musical, but still dealing you know, with immigration. We're doing this really cool show called The Realness, which is like an ode to hip hop. <laughs> we have uh, Slow Food, which is a hilarious comedy. We have a little something for everyone this just tune in. Like, again, we're covering wide variety of subjects <laughs> from hard hitting things like immigration to a love to hip hop to Senator McCain, right? Like, there are lots of different offerings that we are hoping everyone gets really excited about. And you can go visit us at www.arizonastheater.org. Check us out on all of our social media platforms of when we'll be releasing any of our digital offerings. Of course, if you feel so inclined, the arts need as much help and assistance as we can get. And I'm talking about just across the, the theater community as a whole. So if you ever find it in your heart and want to donate to us or to other local theaters in the community, please do so because we, we need the help. It is vital at this time. I don't think anybody would think necessarily that these plays ought to be offered for free. And so how do you make up the loss in revenue on that one? Now, we do have shows that will be gearing up, we hope, <laughs> next season. So we're just trying to, like, be positive. But those, of course, we have a wonderful subscriber base that has uh, given their patronage to our theater for such a long time. And so those will be available. And you can find out more information about our main stage as well. Um, but we are doing a lot of really great, beautiful plays, too, like My 80-Year-Old Boyfriend. We're hoping to to get that up. Prue Payne, The Nina Simone for Women, Women in Jeopardy, which actually, fun fact, so one of our digital offerings that we are giving uh, for free the same author, Wendy McLeod, also wrote Woman in Jeopardy. So you'll get a little taste of her work in the digital offering, and then you can come back again next season and kind of check out her work when we're back on the stage. And then we have goals and hopes to be able to produce all <laughs> of, of these things. And so we will be relying on our subscribers and anyone that wants to show patronage to our theater because we're going to need it with everything that's going on right now, all I want to do is go and sit in the theater right now. Exactly. I know <laughs> so many people that feel the same way. <laughs> Briefly then, when is the hope that you would have people back in the theater? Because I just don't want to be tied to this deadline because we just don't know what's going yeah, on, right? Right. But our hope would be early 2021. Gotcha. That is the hope. You guys will be joining the Pac-12 sports uh, who are on hiatus until then as well. So, Right. We don't know what the future holds, so we embrace that. And it's okay to say that it sucks too, right? Like, it sucks. Of course it does. But what I love is that you can't get stuck in the fact that we feel immobile right now. Because how do you grow? Right. And yeah, so let's take it on. Let's take on this challenge of presenting art digitally and seeing, you know, where we can go from here with it. And isn't that what creatives do? They create. Exactly. Yeah. In the middle of the most dire circumstances. In fact, I would even wager to say we are at our best in the middle of the worst possible 
circumstances, the Great Depression, you know, the Civil Rights Movement, right? Like, there's been devastating things that have happened that art still exists and or springs forward no matter what. Chanel Bragg, who's the Associate Artistic Director of the Arizona Theatre Company, I want to thank you so much for coming back to Word. No shortage of energy for you, Chanel. Thanks for being on our season opener. <laughs> I did have a donut before I got here, so <laughs> that might have been the reason why. <laughs> well, you take care of yourself, Chanel. Thanks so much. Thank you. We taped this portion of the podcast prior to the announcement of the 2020 National Latinx Playwright. And the winner this year is Eliana Pipes for her play, Dreamhouse. According to a press release, the play follows two Latinx sisters on an HGTV-style show. Selling their family home, they try to capitalize on the gentrification of their changing neighborhood. And here's the playwright on a recent episode of Hang and Focus. The show sort of slips into a surreal place and one sister has this particular attachment to the idea of culture and history. One sister has this particular attachment to the idea of progress and upward mobility and things clash. <laughs> the knitting shop turned into a bar and everything felt different all of a sudden. And then when I was 13, my family actually moved because all of a sudden our dinky little house was in a hot neighborhood and we had that opportunity for upward mobility and we took it. You can find out more about Arizona Theatre Company at our website, Word. .kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. You can get a lot of things delivered these days, and now that includes the latest Arizona news from KJZZ's Sun Up podcast. I'm Phil Latzman. Everything you need to know to start each day delivered to you in this handy little podcast. Go to kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts and download KJZZ's Sun Up today. KJZZ's car donation program accepts all types of vehicles that support the programs you rely on. Whether it's a boat, car, truck, or RV, donating is easy and a great way to support your public radio station. Details at cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. It's a combo of the Western and horror genres inspired by the coronavirus pandemic. And once again, we welcome Valley Indie filmmaker and screenwriter Robert Conway back to Word. He recently shot his new film, Skinwalker, while isolated on an Arizona mountaintop this summer. When last we talked, you helped us become nominated for a Murrow Award. Uh, oh, really? That was chosen by our editors to submit to the Murrow Awards. And that was last, last December. And that conversation was based on one of your classics, The Krampus. Oh. <laughs> uh, but now you've been one of the first people that I know of personally in this area or maybe around the nation that has picked up live production for a new film. And the name of the film is Skinwalker. Would it be fair to say you've gone back to one of the genres that you love, which is Westerns? Yeah, and this is kind of a hybrid. It's two genres that I love. It's Western with a horror, supernatural horror element to it. So give us a little bit of a rough synopsis. First of all, what is a skinwalker and where does it take place? It takes place in the 1800s, late 1800s, you know, the kind of the, the high time of the Wild West. A skinwalker is based on, a, I believe it's a Navajo myth. Where essentially, there's a lot of different stories about it, but I wanted to do a creature that kind of inhabited people 
take on human form. I went off it from the myth and kind of fictionalized it myself, kind of uh, influenced by what we're going through right now with the whole COVID thing, this idea of a secret, invisible enemy inhabiting other people that we come in contact with. So that was kind of the basis for the story. I mean, it's topical, put it that way. <laughs> That's not by accident. It's a you know, supernatural entity that enters one person, travels to another one. You know, not dissimilar from John Carpenter's The Thing. If you think about that, you know, it's a good way to put it. It's like that in the Wild West. And this follows Eminence Hill, right, which was the most recent one that you made before Skinwalker? Yeah. What is it that you really love about Westerns? You know, I just always had a love for them. I mean, when I was a really little kid, I used to live upstate New York and always dreamed about coming out west and the cowboy lifestyle, just everything about it, the iconography, the kind of the chivalry, also the villains. It's, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, there's something special about it, something very, you know, it's American as apple pie. It's a fun genre to play in, and you've got a lot of subgenres within that. You can do horror, you can do comedy, you can do drama. Just kind of run the gamut with it. And, you know, we're in the perfect place to be doing it here in Arizona. Were you the principal writer on this one as well as the director? Yeah, and about 20 other things. I was <laughs> didn't have much of a budget. So. <laughs> How long did it take you to write the treatment for the film? Not long. I basically just wanted to do something. I mean, it kind of came about like just being stuck in quarantine and really, really bored. Um, I kind of got a little bit of a pre-sale, but it really wasn't much. And I asked people that I knew, people that I wanted to work with, most of the people I had worked with before. I just wanted to do a, uh, you know, just get out of the house and make a crazy movie uh, up on a mountain. And, you know, luckily for me, a lot of people wanted to do it with me. So we, we made a little movie and it's, it's shaping up pretty cool. I'm actually color grading it as we speak. Oh, cool. Kind right on. Fun. We've caught you live amidst production. That's, oh, yeah. Uh, what is it? Life imitating art, right? That's it. So how did you reach out to folks, I assume, via social media, all of your normal channels? And, and you found that, of course, they were going through this kind of stir craziness as well. And they were like, yeah, we want to get out yeah. of our house, Robert. That's basically it. You know, I mean, it was just kind of like, well, you guys want to do something fun and adventurous and crazy. And, or do you want to watch Tiger King for the 80s? Time? You know, it's kind of <laughs> what you get to do. Um, uh, yeah, I, mental health wise, I just had to do it. I had to do it. I mean, I did it for very little money and it was hard on the crew, obviously, in the cast. But, you know, we had fun, too. And, um, you know, most importantly, it was just trying to make something productive in this really tragic time for our country, for the world. And uh, what did they say? The idle mind is the devil's playground. I mean, it's just better if you can, if you can go to work, if you can find a way to do it relatively safely it's just uh it's great compared to sitting there watching netflix all day so <laughs> well talk to me about that in terms of filmmaking because you know when you consider for instance the stage theater right blocking has changed certain romantic scenes are cut from plays and whatnot what were the challenges for you on set with social distancing and making sure if people are in a really impassioned speech, their spittle isn't shooting out at each other? The good thing is we're basically we're pretty isolated. Our core group of people that we were acting with, you know, it was a very small cast and it was written to be made amongst a small group of people that, you know, a, once we kind of got up to our location up uh, on the mountain, you know, by Roosevelt Lake, closer to that, after a couple of days, we, we kind of let our guard down because we 
there was nobody else there. You know, there was no, uh, we weren't ill. There was no COVID on the mountain. So that was kind of by design. You know, I knew that if something happened, if we had a, you know, an outbreak, God forbid, we'd have to stop production. But that's the risk you take making a film now, just period, you know, no matter what. We were lucky that didn't happen. And, you know, after a few days, we were with the same people and nobody else is leaving. We stocked up on supplies and all that. So it was like, it was kind of like a real oasis from this, this terrible thing going on in civilization. Right. And it had to be a very nice change of scenery, obviously. And so in a way, this movie, again, back to that kind of concept of life imitating art, although you are creating art, you're also sort of, I don't know, quarantining on a mountain to make this piece of art. That's basically what we did. You know, that's really what we did. It's a good way to put it. I mean, it was a lot more fun than most people's quarantine and a lot of people post about it but it was you know we were doing something creative and you know it was hard it was really like again there was no real money and very small crew even by my standards it was a really small crew but you know i had a very dedicated cast and you know just again writing something around a handful of actors when we did background stuff we did it at the tail end of the shoot and there's not much background in the movie that's by design as well you know that's really like we had two days of background and we did the best we could, which really, I mean, sad to say, isn't much. You do the masks, you do the, until you roll, you take them off and you hope that, uh, that nobody gets sick. And, you know, we were lucky. There was a few people that joined the production that had to leave before they arrived. I mean, they weren't able to do it because they were exposed or got sick, but uh, we were very lucky. Obviously making a movie in a pandemic is, is a pretty crazy thing to try to attempt. Well, and you've done it. When will the film be available to a wider audience? I expect sometime in like Q1 of 2021. You know, it's usually about that. It's supposed to be delivered in October. So as long as you make that, we should be good for early next year. That's a very rough estimate at this point. But the whole world is crazy. The whole film world is nuts. It's just everything is, uh, I think everyone, you know, in many different walks of life, we're trying to figure out where to go now, what to do where we go from here, like how do we continue our jobs, our, our careers? The film world is very topsy-turvy. I'm supposed to be doing a project for a while now that's been just kind of trying to work around. Uh, it's supposed to shoot in New Mexico, but we're just, uh, New Mexico's got this two-week quarantine. They just opened for filming, but you need to be there for two weeks before they'll let you work. And it's like, that's not going to work on a, if you're flying in talent, you can't put them up for two weeks and expect them to quarantine. So we'll see. Hopefully, we'll find a way to continue to make movies, do what we love. But uh, right now, it's a challenge for sure. So, Robert, what might be next for you? I know that's kind of hard to determine at this point, but are you looking forward to other projects after this one? Well, I am, yeah. I'm working with a company out of Los Angeles, and, and I partnered up with them to do another. It's another Western. It's This is more of a kind of a drama, kind of a dark Western, closer to Eminent Silk than Skinwalker. But that's what's on the slate. We're just trying to get everything in place here with COVID and all that. Well, Eminence Hill is widely available on many digital platforms, and we look forward to Skinwalker coming out sometime in the first part of next year. Robert, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's just an amazing hats off to you to be able to get this production completed during COVID-19. Well, yeah, I had a lot of help. I owe it to my actors and to my crew. Everybody went took this crazy mountain, crazy vacation with me. <laughs> so, Robert, thanks so much for coming to Word. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. You can find out more about Skinwalker and Robert Conway at our website, word.kjzz.org.
Portions of Word have been nominated for an Edward R. Murrow Award. We appreciate your continued support of the literary arts in Arizona and the region. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for listening. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.